created live on Fireside. Good afternoon, everybody. It is noontime here on Fireside Chat. I am Dr. Laura DeVoe, and you are here at uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is our weekly opportunity to discuss trends and issues in higher education. Uh, today's show um, is a special show. Typically, we, we do have our broadcast on Wednesdays, um, but because of the holiday, um, we are bumping it back a day. And uh, today's show uh, is about food insecurity on college campuses. Um, according to Hunger on Campus, 50% of community college students and 47% of four-year college students are reporting to be food insecure. College campuses have become key service points for students who are food housing, as well as what we call fuel insecure, and the needs are only growing uh, both due to the pandemic and other societal challenges. Uh, best practice in serving these students and creating sustainable programs will be the focus of today's show. Um, we are pleased to have uh, two wonderful guests here. Uh, we have uh, Anne Ciarelli, uh, I'm sorry, Ciarelli. Annie, I'm going to ask you to take yourself off mute and, and correct me on the report. Seraldi. from the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Um, and uh, we will also be joined uh, by Shelly Nicholson uh, from Wachusett Community College, Mount Wachusett Community College. Um, she is having some internet issues. Um, and so uh, we are going to wait for her to come on in to introduce herself. But we, I'm going to turn things over to Annie um, to introduce herself. Tell Tell us a little bit about yourself, Annie. Welcome to the to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. And tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, work at UMass Lowell um, and uh, how it relates to food insecurity and what you're doing right now. Sure. So my name is Annie Seraldi, as Laura said, and I'm the Associate Dean of Students for Compliance and Violence Prevention, which is an ominous title. <laughs> but I'm also the single point of contact for um, hungry and homeless students at the university. Um, I've actually been in this the position itself, oh God, I think since 2009, um, I've been at the university for 31 years. Um, so this is a 12-year stint so far in this position. And I started working on food insecurity issues at the university in 2012. And um, it's just, it, honestly, it's become a huge passion of mine, mm -hmm. uh, both the food and housing insecurity. Um, my primary role at the university is crisis management um, of students that are going through <clears throat> either need, like insecurity of different kinds of needs or mental health issues and... You just name it. You name it. I, I deal with it on a daily basis. So it's my staff laughs and they say my job is all crisis all the time. So <laughs> it's my catchphrase. <laughs> so you love a good crisis, as I, I like to say. Yeah. You know, there's some of us uh, and I'm, I'm one of them and I hate to say it is, uh, you know, I actually teach crisis management at Boston College as, okay. as a summer class. And I actually... I, I hate to say this, well, I don't seek out crises. Yeah. Uh, crises are something that I think are important. So I appreciate that. 
Uh, talk to me about uh, the idea of, I know that you are currently in, a, in, in kind of a role where it gets added on. When it first got yes. added on, uh, what was uh, going through your head and uh, did you understand the scope of it at the time? What have you learned since having it added on? Yeah. Oh man. When I got it added on, it was kind of a funny way of happening. My, the, the vice chancellor that I worked with, he just retired. Um, I have been working with since I started at Lowell. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I just had an, an interesting meeting with someone from university of Boston and they have a program dealing with hunger and homeless, well, basically hunger on campus. And um, I'd like you to become the university's Spock. Mm. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. And he said, okay. he said to me, I honestly really don't know what it stands for either, but Shirley thinks it's a great idea. Shirley was the person at UMass Boston. And I was like, okay. Um, so I hooked up with Shirley to find out um, all about it. And I didn't know the scope of the issue at the time. Um, I've actually said to many people, if I had known 37 years ago when I started in student affairs that I'd be dealing with hungry and homeless college students, I would have told you you were crazy. Mm, um, mm. Because it just, it just didn't seem like it was um, something that could be happening, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and ever since then, I've just learned the scope is huge and um, the solutions actually the solutions for hunger are easier than the solutions for homelessness. Mm. Um, and, and I've just, I'm, I'm a really good problem solver. So I'm constantly <laughs> finding ways to either solve the problem, work around the issues. Um, Cause a lot of times they're financial aid issues. So I'm working with financial aid or mm -hmm, just really mm -hmm. looking for ways to collaborate with other people outside of the university to help our students. So right. it's just a, it's a constant it's crisis management. Right. As we continue to wait, um, I want to make sure that people know uh, here at uh, Fireside, there's a few ways you can actually interact with the show. Uh, to interact with the show, you can actually request to ask a question. Um, by doing so, you can uh, do so by uh, hitting the button at the bottom of your screen uh, to request to ask a question, um, and then we'll bring you up on stage. Um, you can react um, in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, you will be able to hit the reaction button and you can clap, you can uh, have other emoji uh, kind of initiated uh, reactions. Um, and uh, in the bottom left corner is a black dot and that is called the hamburger. The hamburger is basically your navigation area. So um, you can actually uh, hit something called, if you hit that button and you see a globe, you're gonna hit broadcast to the world. Um, by hitting that button, it takes you to a link that you can then push out to any of your social media platforms um, that might be hooked up to your uh, to your device. Um, uh, the last thing I would like to turn uh, you on to as far as the uh, hamburger and the navigation menu is the transcript button. When you click on that button, you can actually see the opportunity to put up closed captioning for those of you who would benefit from that, as well as catch up on the show. Um, and uh, when we are done with the show and it is broadcast out as a as a um, as a recording, um, you can actually check that that transcript as well. Um, so thank you very much for being here. Um, we are here every week with Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, um, and we are exclusively here on Fireside. The goal of this show is to provide an environment where higher education professionals, as well as people who are interested in higher education in the United States, can interact with uh, 
other uh, folks who care about it, who are experts in it, um, and actually do some professional development right there on your device and uh, interact with one another. And so this is a great opportunity. Um, we, uh, we know that um, uh, Shelly, who is from Mount Wachusett Community College, she is having some technical issues. So hopefully she'll be able to join us as we are continuing on with the show. Um, so Annie is here from the University of Massachusetts at Lowell, and uh, I want you to, to talk to me, Annie, about UMass Lowell um, and the students that are there uh, enrolled at your institution. Um, and uh, because I think that there's a misnomer out there of like who's actually impacted by food insecurity yep. um, and homelessness, because people put people into buckets about who requires these these services. Absolutely. Um, so, so can you talk to me a bit about the students who are enrolled at UMass Lowell? Um, and, uh, and we're going to go from there, but, um, I'm familiar with the university because not only is my husband an alum, but, um, I actually got married across the street from your student center oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> at the Greek Orthodox <laughs> church across the street. So Lowell is a place that is near and dear to my heart, um, and my husband's family, but tell us about UMass Lowell, um, and the students that you serve. Sure. So um, the university, as you know, is a public institution, and we attract a lot of students who are uh, first-generation college students um, from a variety of different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, they are about, I believe it's about 28% um, people of color. Okay. Um, so it makes up a pretty a good chunk. When I started there, it was much less than that. Um, and has just worked on it tremendously to get it up to that point. Um, they are very hardworking, very much blue-collar people, uh, blue-collar families, uh, close-knit families for the most part. But then we have a segment of students who come to us um, through DCF or from their high schools on uh, from the McKinney-Vento Act, if you know. Um, those are homeless students or unaccompanied youth. And... Um, we find them slowly but surely when they get here. Um, they often often don't come self-identified or readily identified, um, but they are uh, they're incredible students. I, I will tell you that. Um, as I said, very hardworking, very much, um, very much humble and mm -hmm. not entitled. Like people sometimes think of college students as being, you know, from wealthy families and entitled and they have, like you said, that box of um, where they must come from. Right. And right. it's just not accurate. That's just right. the bottom line. It's just not right. an accurate depiction of students. Right. Um, and so, you know, we see a, a lot of students who come to us who are um, in need, in need of a lot of different things, but uh, food and housing, of course, are the basic needs that you have to have to be an accomplished student. So um, our students are, high achieving students. Um, I don't off my you know, off the cuff, know the GPA requirement to get in, but I know it's mm -hmm. well over a three O with good SAT scores and good recommendations. Um, that bar has been raised over the years. So they are, um, high achieving students. And, uh, and then we have an international student body too. So, mm. um, they're another interesting bunch because, People also think of them coming to the university as wealthy students who right. don't need anything. And that's just so not true. Right. Right. Um, so they and, run the and gamut. It's, 
And, and you know, I, I think you, re, you referred to this, but one of the things about UMass Lowell is it's a very, very high functioning in terms of their uh, link with engineering, tech, technology. Um, it's an outstanding institution as far as that's concerned. And I, you know, I, I have actually said to, to people, I live in Massachusetts, and I've said to people whose families are like, you know, my kid wants to be an engineer, but yep. I don't know if they want to go to, they're not going to get into MIT or WPI. And I said, you, you don't even have that conversation. You need to go to UMass Lowell. It's a great exactly. institution and you need to be doing that. So you've got people who are there in very difficult majors. Um, we just got, and unfortunately, uh, Shelly just sent us an email saying that her the iPad she had on loan from the institution has now died. So she's oh, not going to be able to log in. So it's you and me, Annie. So, <laughs> That's um, all right. <laughs> but, but I promise Shelly that she'll be able to come back on uh, at a time that we're able to get her on with uh, technology, because I want to really talk about, uh, I love talking about community college students. Absolutely. And, and I think it's an important piece. And so I, I want to kind of dig in on a few things here about this idea of uh, who actually comes to your office, who needs these services. Yep. And is there something you've noticed? I know the pandemic has thrown a real monkey wrench into all of this. Yes. Um, but has there been something even let's go pre-pandemic and then we're going to talk about what has been manifesting since the pandemic. So sure. pre-pandemic. You know, I, as a former vice president for student affairs at a small college, more students were coming. I, I stopped working at the school in 2018 um, as the, you know, probably the last three, four years being there. We had a real uptick in the number of students who became uh, visible to us, who came to us and said, I am having difficulty with two. There were two areas that our students were, were dealing with. And you brought up uh, homelessness yep. on my campus. It was it was typically around food and what I call fuel insecurity. And the fuel could have been heat at home or or gas in the car. Yep. Um, and that had a real impact on their ability to, to be ready for school as well as get to school. In, it, when did you kind of start to see things take a turn? You had this added to your portfolio, but when did you actually see the needs uh, kind of tick up and what has been happening before the pandemic in terms of what the maybe some of the nuances of the needs have been and how have they changed? Okay. So prior to the pandemic, um, we we slowly from 2012, 13 or so um, started seeing an uptick constantly. And I think that's more because students knew we existed mm -hmm. and that there was actually help with, especially the food and security part of it. Um, although I have had, as you said, I have had requests about fuel assistance, um, mm -hmm. either, either type. Um, and we have some collaborations for the housing part of it. And then the, the, the gasoline is a little bit different. Um, but we saw that it just slowly upticked. And, I, and like I said, I think it's because people recognized that we were there. And we had a lot of faculty and staff that were referring students to um, my office for assistance. So um, I think the more education we did on campus, the mm -hmm. higher the numbers got. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the need started out with, um, actually, the need was recognized, to be very honest with you, and you might have seen this on your campus, um, by students first. So they knew right. that their friends were insecure, food insecure. And we actually had a group of students who started what they called the food pantry, but they were literally getting food from a food bank and giving it out from their cars right. um, or from right. offices with faculty that they knew they could leave it with. Um, and it very quickly 
spiraled out of control for them. And they came to me and said, we can't handle this. It's too big. What do we do? And so mm. um, I, I said to him, don't worry, we'll figure it all out, you know? And so right, between right. them and myself and I, I assembled a team and we um, took it from there. But ever since then, we just see an uptick constantly um, in the food area, but then also in other needs. Like um, we have had an uptick in needs for school supplies, for technology, mm. uh, for clothing, winter clothing. Um, right. One of the first students that I ever met in from the food pantry was a student, this young woman, Ashley, who was actually working at our health education office. And it was one of the coldest winters we had, and she had no winter coat. And so we inquired, you know, where's your winter coat? What's going on? And she was wearing layers and she said, oh, I don't own one. Mm. And so we got her a winter coat. Um, actually, myself and the health educator both have daughters the same age. And so we went home and said to our kids, do you have anything you want to donate? Right, right, right. Because <laughs> I know they're spoiled and they have them, you know. Right. Um, gave her a coat. And like two weeks later, she came back without it again and told us that she didn't have it because she gave it to her friend. Right. And so and this is like the attitude of students. Um we have them in the food pantry doing the same thing, shopping and saying, I'm only going to take this, this, and this because other people need the food more than I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just this mindset of um, somebody else is worse off than me. So we, we saw that uptick consistently um, going from probably serving like, I would say like 25 to 50 students a week. Mm -hmm. And now we're up into the 170 to 220 wow. Wow. a week. Okay. Uh, and we're serving families too. Right. And that's something that happens. So you don't just serve undergraduate students. You're also looking at grad students. I exactly. And, yes. and actually adjunct faculty too use oh, wow. our food pantry and other faculty could, but we just know, you know, we know who's who and we make special right. appointments and, for the and faculty. adjunct faculty get paid pennies on the dollar. We exactly. Um, exactly. So I see that Shelly has joined us. She was Yay. able to manage her, her <laughs> tech issues. Shelly, can you, can you speak in? Shelly, are you able to talk or are you not able to talk? Oh, okay. We're going to, we're going to keep going. And okay. um, if Shelly's able to, to pitch in, we can do that. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I would like to revisit as far as what you just talked about is the number of students that you're actually serving. And did you actually see during the pandemic uh, a, an increase in that? And how did you actually, and, and I am going to ask you and Shelly, if you're able to talk at, at a point, I am going to ask you both to describe how your pantry is set up. Okay. Um, I know this is an audio environment, so giving us a picture of what that looks like um, sure. will be helpful. Um, so, but I want to start with this idea of um, of what happened during the pandemic and how that actually manifested itself in terms of the services you're providing. Sure. So, um, oh man, when the pandemic started, the our university closed. Well, right. not closed, but we all went remote. Everybody went remote almost immediately. It was March 13th and everybody was gone. And they actually closed the buildings to even us right. being able to go inside. Right. And, you know, I put up this big red flag saying, hey, wait a minute, we have a food pantry and we have students who use it every week. Mm -hmm. We can't just suddenly say, sorry, no more food. Right. Um, and you know, that was one of those moments with the university going, humana, humana, <laughs> what do we do? And um, within two weeks, we were back serving students um, through a online ordering and no contact pickup system, mm -hmm. yep. um, which worked out wonderfully. And so we were able to keep um, serving students. Our numbers actually went down for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because since we all went remote, a lot of students 
left their apartments yeah. and went home. So yeah. the people that we kept serving, though, were our international students, students that had, you know, parenting students who were in apartments permanently um, or students who didn't decide not to leave the area. So it went down a little bit, but we were still serving them every week. Um, and then the needs kind of changed a little bit, too, because um, access to certain foods weren't available anymore and um, it just got more complicated. Um, so we had more of an opportunity to use like gift cards to get people to be able to shop at Market Basket or other local mm-hmm. markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then eventually we were able to kind of couple with Mill City Grows to get fresh fruits and vegetables into our students' hands right. at no cost to them. Right. Wow. So okay. it was really pivoting and trying to figure out, you know, how do we run the food pantry without being at the food pantry? <laughs> right, right. So you're doing everything remote. And so so physically, the students have to go in, they have to pick up. And so you created a contactless way, but there still has to be yep. staff there. It doesn't, you don't just have a gnome that shows up and puts stuff in a box and puts it outside. Exactly. So our so staff they, assemble everything and then yeah. they move it over. Well, they did. Now it's a little bit different, but they would move it over to where our police department is. Mm. And outside the police department, we're shelving units with bags with numbers on it. And then we're so thankful for the dispatch because dispatch would just hold the list mm-hmm. and somebody would go up and say hi i'm number four and they'd say oh annie number yep. four is your, or i'm annie Seraldo. they say number four is your basket yeah so they, they would take their their food um you know and thankfully it worked out really well well and i think that you know I, and now the people need to understand and I, and I think the higher ed professionals understand this but i think people who are just might be your casual listener um, college campuses are basically a small city, okay? Yep. And in the case of UMass Lowell, it's it's a, it's a medium-sized city. I mean, exactly. it's a good-sized city. Um, and, you know, you have all of these um, opportunities for partnerships that can be built within the community to make sure that you are doing right by the students. Exactly. And, um, you know, utilizing the police sometimes can be um, a, a sticky wicket. I'm going to yep. say it. Yep. Um, some students sometimes don't feel comfortable um, going to them uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, when I was at one university I worked at, international students from certain countries didn't oh, like going to the police because in their country, the police were so corrupt that they couldn't even think about going to the police exactly. or anything. Um, and then in our own country, uh, especially our BIPOC students, um, are not as comfortable going to the police departments. Do you think that there's that partnership? And and sometimes we're just forced to do it. You know, right. I have, you yeah. know, you it's the police department is going to continue to be open during the pandemic. Um, and so we need to have the food somewhere and they are there and available and people can go pick it up. It's, is it ideal? No. Um, but did you, did you find that there was maybe a byproduct of that, that the police department may have found an opportunity to maybe understand the homelessness or the food insecurity issue on your campus in a, in a deeper way. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because, um, or interesting that we have our police department, um, works very closely with our students. And we actually have two officers who work very closely with our international population, Mm -hmm. um, as community police officers. So they go to like their coffee side chats and all that kind of thing. And so they really know them well, um, a lot of community policing. Um, And then we kind of got around 
telling them you have to go to the police because the police are near our, we call it UCAPS. It's the where you get your ID and mm-hmm. parking sticker and stuff. Yep. So we would say, you know, go to the dispatch office. It's right outside of the UCAPS office. You'll see mm-hmm. this, you know, you'll see the shelving area. Just tell them who you are. And so there was really no, you're going to have to interact with somebody from the police. And I think yeah. that kind of helped. Yeah. Um, but I totally agree with you. Sometimes, um, you know, saying to people, uh, you know, you have to go and see the police. It, it's just like unnerving in this yeah. like, no way. And, and um, for some, it's a, it's a no, it's a, it's a deal breaker. They're exactly. not going to go. Yeah. Yep. And, and honestly, if someone had said to me, oh, I can't do that. I, we would have had them pick it up someplace else where it's the front desk of the student center, because although we were closed, we still had somebody there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been, you know, an easy switch for us. Right, um, right. But thankfully people were okay with it. So I want to shift directions to this idea of what a well-resourced food assistance program might look like. I know that you pay attention to what's happening on other campuses. Um, You have had to change your your environment um, and what you've had to do to to meet this need. I mean, you said you started with like 20 students and now you're up almost close to 200. That that changes the, you know, scaling something like that changes everything. And, And so... Talk to us about what a well-resourced program is composed of beyond sure. the food. Like we know there's food, we need to have food and we need to have, yeah. a, a, you know, pipelines to get the food to you. But, but what other things t- would a campus need to have a well-resourced program? So uh, one of them is funding. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's probably goes without saying, but, um, and we're, a, we're a 401c3 charity. So, um, the food we get, we get food from the Mirac Valley food bank from food donations, but then we also do, um, quite a bit of fundraising, um, including events where people either bring food or they'll, um, we have a silent auction every November, except for the past two years, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that raises a substantial amount of money. Uh, we have donors that are regular donors. We have a corporate sponsorship, um, and that helps tremendously. And I know we'll talk about it later, but it helped us grow our actual um, food insecurity options. So mm-hmm. other ways to help students um, and not just with food. Um, but that's one thing that's very important is you have to fundraise. Um, when I first started our food pantry, um, without him knowing what was going to happen, I, my vice chancellor said to me, I'm going to give you a $3,000 startup budget. Um, but that but your food pantry can't impact the operating budget. Yeah. I was like, okay, $3,000 isn't going to go very far. Cover a lot. No, no. <laughs> but we'll see what we can do. Um, you know, at this point we have, honestly, there's about $130,000 in our food, pro- in our project fund. Wow. Um, because of everything we've done to fundraise. Um, and we use it all the time. So it goes up and down, obviously. Um, but it was just an interesting, like, okay, this will be interesting. Um, but beyond that, I mean, even in a startup, when you're starting it up, there's, there's stuff that you have to have. You know, you have right. to have shelving. You have to have, you know, communications. You have to have a way of um, monitoring who's coming in and out. Um, you have to have staff. Um, you know, there's a bunch of things that come along with it that aren't food, but they are definitely necessary. Um, so... Do you I mean, have you, to work with uh, the local uh, health department on, uh, on inspections or anything <laughs> like that? We haven't yet. Um, And the reason why is because right now our food pantry is a non-perishable food pantry. Got it. So we don't have perishable food. Um, We are looking into starting into um, going that way, and then we will definitely have to. Um, Because there's a lot more regulations, obviously, when there's things that can go bad. Right, right. Um, But we'll go down that 
And that, and that is one of those things where, you know, I think you bring up an excellent point about all the little ins and outs and what it all costs and what, it, you know, this is yeah. not just a free thing. Um, and uh, I think that if, as people who might be listening casually to this, if they have a local university um, that uh, is in their, their backyard or in their city or town, and they're a casual, uh, like kind of listener to this show who, who may not really uh, be connected to higher education. Yep. Um, they may not realize that most of these, uh, these uh, food pantries on campuses have their own fundraising arm. Exactly. And so if you reach out to, if you, if, as I always say, call the Dean of Students or the Vice President for Student Affairs office because they'll yep. know. OK. Yep. And so call those offices and say, hey, you know what? I want to give uh, this season to your food pantry. How does that work? Yep. Um, you can find out uh, just as Annie was talking about. They do fundraising. Um, a lot of them, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on Giving Tuesdays. Uh, there would be a wonderful time of the year to give to some of these uh, uh, food uh, pantries on these college campuses uh, because it is extraordinarily important um, that these uh, p that these operations continue. Um, I know that uh, when I was at uh, a small college, uh, we just didn't have the first of all the financial support to get yep. something started, um, and we also came into this kind of concern of we just didn't have the space, and yep. and space is a big deal. Every space you know, is huge. Space is huge, and spaces is something that's in short short uh, kind of inventory on any college or any place. Right. Um, and, and, you know, as we were home for the pandemic working from here there, you know, there's, there's less space at all, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, you, when you have less space to, to hold these things, it, it's important about what you can provide. And I was able to partner with our food, um, provider, our campus uh, yep. food provider, right? And so we actually took a look at uh, some ways to reach out to students and uh, be able to bring them up. And oh, Shelly's here. So I'm going to shut up for a second. I, I want <laughs> Shelly to be able to talk if she can. Shelly, can you can you talk? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yay! Yay. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. I'm so sorry. I literally just drove home. I got... <laughs> I drove home that. because the internet is more stable at my house. Okay. A crazy story, but true. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? And that's, it's internet is that, you know, that's why the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill is so important, right? So <laughs> true. Absolutely. <laughs> we all got to get that internet up and running. Um, Shelly, I would love you to introduce yourself. Tell us about who you are, where you work. And uh, I want to back up and I want to talk about your food pantry. And then I'm going to talk about how, uh, our other campus partners can work with us. So Shelly, introduce yourselves and tell us about, about Mount Wachusett Community College. Sure, thank you all uh, for having me. My name is Dr. Shelly Arrington-Nicholson and I am at Mount Wachusett Community College, which is in Gardner, Mass, right next to the big mountain, so internet's bad. Um, <laughs> I have been with the college for 11 years now and our program evolved very slowly. We had a student who came to us one day um, uh, nine years ago and said, I don't understand why my colleagues in class aren't doing their homework. Mm. And we said, well, why don't you ask them? He was an older student, a veteran, and was really excited about this opportunity for education, but saw a lot of people not fully taking advantage of it. Well, when he started asking, he found out a lot of his classmates were hungry, homeless, oh, wow. had lack of access to basic internet, ironically, um, and things of that sort. And so he came to us and said, I want to start a peer mentoring program. 
So we have all these great volunteer opportunities that we provide for our students to volunteer. Wouldn't they benefit from also being recipients from some of these service providers? So he started a peer mentoring program and trained peer other students to be able to act almost as social workers, connecting students to resources on and off campus. And out of that um, grew the apparent need for food. Uh, that mm. was the one thing that everybody had in common. Transportation sometimes was an issue, sometimes it wasn't childcare, et cetera. But almost everyone he talked to did not have consistent, adequate access to food. Wow. That's, so that's this, an amazing story. Okay, keep going. Yeah, this was uh, probably about four years. And then I happened to be the director of the center he was working under and working um, on my doctorate. And I was studying uh, food insecurity. And so we decided to open the food pantry on our campus. So we had an AmeriCorps Vista help us with that. And um, through that, we were able to connect with the Worcester County Food Bank and actually became the first college food pantry they partnered with. And have since they've gone on to partner with many more. So we're able to provide our students not just the food because it's only 20 items a month, which mm -hmm. in and of itself is not going to feed a family. But the important thing is to get the students in the door and have those peer mentoring and counseling meetings with them so that we can find out what other resources we can get them, applying for SNAP, getting fuel assistance, et cetera. Right. And it's just grown from there. That's amazing. So, you know, I, I want to say, ask the question, because Annie brought it up uh, in earlier, um, and I'm not sure if you heard it, but she started, when they started their food pantry at UMass Lowell, were serving about 20 students. Uh, Annie, was that 20 students a month or students a week? A week. A week. And so now they're up to close to 200. Shelly, how many, what are you looking at at Mount Wachusett? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say we started out the same way. It was very small. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason why I focused on food insecurity for my dissertation was I wanted to know why they weren't coming. Um, yeah. Why, you know, we know the need is there. Um, you know, nationally, over 60% of community college students are food insecure, and our students were certainly no exception. Mm. So um, when we started looking at what we could do to make it a more comfortable and welcoming environment, whether it was programming, um, you know, having um, like an open area that was welcoming, not hiding it in the basement kind of thing, um, we started to see an uptick. And I would say within that first year, we probably grew at, at about that same rate, at about 10 times um, what we were in size. And then we saw a dip in the pandemic, unfortunately, because because of the access issue for students, because our campus was closed and we were all online last mm -hmm, year, mm -hmm. um, but we saw the need rise. So even though right now I would say we're probably back to about maybe 200 students generally using it at any one time, um, they, the need is greater. So they are right. getting, we're able to give them more food, even though it's less students. So pound wise, we're actually distributing more food than we ever have before. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so this is, this is fascinating to me. Now, I think one of the things that you keyed it on, and I, I would like to know uh, about, about that kind of that mentoring piece. Okay. Because I think what you bring up is super important is that the campus can't possibly be everything to everybody, nor can the campus provide everything to everybody, but knowledge is important. And this, uh, these peer mentors who can then say, this is how you engage on SNAP benefits or fuel assistance, et cetera. Um, who handles that training? 
Um, who kind of makes sure that the agencies that we're referring students to uh, can actually see that? And I think the question there, and, and uh, for you, Shelly and Annie, if you're doing anything like this at UMass Lowell, I'm wondering about data. I'm wondering if these agencies keep the data to say, yes, we've seen this many students from colleges, um, but we may not know exactly which colleges they are, but we are tracking in that they're college students. Do you ever hear back from these folks? I'm going to start with Shelley and then go over to Annie. Yeah, we do. We have a great reciprocal relationship with a lot of these community partners because we've been doing service with them for our students volunteering for years. Um, and so we have regular check-ins with the partners that we most refer students to. Um, and addressing the first part of the question about the peer mentors, you know, we found that students are much more comfortable talking to a peer about these things, especially if the peer is willing to admit that they utilize services. And so the training is actually done, myself as the director of the center works with our student leaders in civic engagement, which are student employees of the center, to develop and update the trainings so that um, students know how to react to possibly some very uncomfortable conversations um, and also understand the boundaries and mandated reporting versus, um, you know, what don't we need to know and confidentiality, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. And it has evolved over time. Um, right. and, and as has our partnership with our community partners, probably our greatest champion is our um, local um, action committee, um, the Gardner CAC. Um, they actually helped us get started by providing us with food in the very beginning. Mm. And we've been able to refer clients back and forth. Um, when we report to the Worcester County Food Bank, part of what we report is not just the food that we distribute to our students, but where our students are on the footprint of North Central Massachusetts and mm -hmm. where else they're having those interactions in the community. Great information. Annie, what about you? What are you, what, what is your interaction with the, the greater Lowell uh, uh, service providers? Sure. So we work very closely with um, a, a youth service provider called uh, CTI, Community Teamwork Incorporated. Mm -hmm. And they actually cover, I think it's like 20 different communities in our area in the north um, east part of Massachusetts, um, Middlesex uh, County primarily. Um, but they have been tremendous for us also. Um, we can, we I actually refer students a lot to them. I work very closely with them. Um, and it's basically, um, they provide things like, they do provide food. They have their own food pantry. They provide hot meals every day. But then they also, when I refer students to them, I can refer students and say, you know, this person's homeless or housing insecure, or they need mental health um, um, support or physical health support. Mm. Uh, because as you know, I'm sure mental health right now is impossible yes. to get mental health right. support. Um, but they're wonderful at connecting students to different resources they need, but then also helping them with other life issues to prepare them for when they're out of college. Um, so they've been tremendous in that way. Um, I mentioned before, we work very closely with Mill City Grows to get uh, fresh fruits and vegetables into our students' hands. They are a local community agricultural um, grower. Mm -hmm. uh, they have they have actually farms on our campus. Um, they have gardens on our campus on different rooftops and stuff. So um, we work closely with them to make sure students can access that for no cost to them. Um, and then we do a lot of SNAP programming too. The one thing that Shelly's doing this is phenomenal that we have not um, totally started yet. We just started uh, looking for students to do is the whole peer part. Mm. Um, and primarily that's because up until this past 
what is this November? So up until September, um, I was a one woman show with mm -hmm. a lot of other student affairs support. Um, you know, people who just volunteered because it's their passion too. Um, so now I have, we were able to hire somebody who's working part of the time, part of his job is working with us on food and housing insecurity. And the other part is family support. Um, so that's a huge thing because it's one of the parts that we want to get into is peer support. So he's starting a peer mentoring program. Um, but, you know, it'll be a slow start and then it'll pick up. <laughs> yes. So, so, I mean, I think one of the things that I think is quite interesting in all of this is that as we as college uh, environments have increased our services to students who are just dealing with these these basic needs you know when we, we talk about maslow's hierarchy of yep. needs right and you know it totally simplifies all of this you know and you've got you know food shelter all that sort of thing when students don't have that they can't function uh at the highest level uh shelly talked about it uh in a way that you know that lived experience that she saw of the student who was in class saw that the people who he was learning with just weren't showing up, weren't engaged. And it was because they just could, did not have uh, a three square meals a day. Um, we saw this at K through 12 in terms of how uh, lunch programs were expanded uh, for young people to be able to pick up food uh, at their school districts nationwide. This was something that happened and it's absolutely beyond my realm of comprehension uh, how uh, we haven't had a, a more broad understanding of the um, maybe the severity of this. Uh, do you have any thought? I mean, Shelley, your dissertation was on this topic. So I'm going to ask you, you know, we don't get asked very often about our dissertation. So I'm going to ask you um, to be able to discuss it. But I think that one of the things that I, I wonder is why are we at a point in our country where we just simply don't understand the scope of this crisis? Well, to put it bluntly, I don't think as a nation we want to understand it. Um, because then we'd really have to do something about it. So when you think about the way our school lunch programs are structured, um, when you look at our geographic area, so in Gardner alone, because of the high level of families that would qualify for free lunch, automatically everyone gets free lunch. And mm -hmm. you know, these are the, that's the community we draw from at the college. So that would stand to reason that we have maybe parents or adults living in the community who are coming to our school that are in that same financial situation. We also have to keep in mind that for our dual enrollment programs, if you are a high school student but taking college classes at the college, you don't get your free lunch because mm -hmm. that would go through the high school. Um, wow. So when we talk about those two systems being so disassociated from each other, there is a real issue. Community colleges, in my opinion, um, also have um, another negativity working towards them because we don't have meal plans. Um, mm. So when you live on a residential campus, a lot of times your meal plan is incorporated into your room and board and into your whole financial package so financial aid can help with that. We don't have that. Mm. Uh, so anything students want, even in our own cafeteria, um, they have to pay out of pocket for. Um, and so I think you know, we have a lot of lessons that we could learn from the K through 12. Um, and I think that if we worked together a little more smoothly, at least even on starting on a local level, we can probably create collaborations so that when students do transition into college, uh, those services that they've relied on will continue for them in some way, shape or form. 
That's great information. Um, You'd mentioned my dissertation. You know, I really wanted to know, um, and I, I looked at females in particular because I was also working on a certificate um, in the feminist program, and I was really interested in what made it a safe space for women to disclose food insecurity, to seek out those resources. Because as I said before, we know that the need is so great, but compared to the need, not a lot of people are utilizing these services. Mm -hmm. And really what it came down to is feeling safe and that they're not going to be judged and that they are going to be able to not have to, they're going to be able to tell their story to someone who understands and not have to tell their story a hundred times. Mm -hmm. um, and so that helped inform a lot of the practices that we have at the pantry. So for example, students come in, we, they fill out a form, we verify that they're students, and then they get a card they can show when they come in. So when they come into the pantry, it's just a number on the card. It doesn't identify them so mm -hmm. that they don't have to be identified over again, tell their story right. over again, right. etc. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, for our students, I think that the main thing is we provide it in the most easy and accessible way possible. Right. Um, and that doesn't always mean it's the easiest way for us. And mm -hmm. so I think that that's another example of how institutions, both K through 12 and higher ed, need to rethink the way they do some things in order to make sure we're meeting the needs of students, which are always changing. And we yeah. know that the pandemic has only made the need greater. Yeah. And, and, you know, I see Annie, uh, who's, you know, in her portfolio, she also has victim assistance and other crisis issues that she has to deal with. So your point, Shelley, about this idea about re-traumatizing someone and making them repeat, 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 these are things that come up all the time when we're working with students in crisis and that how we actually engage with students in crisis, you know, when when you work with students who are victims of sexual assault or sexual violence or relationship violence, having them come in an office and having them repeat, 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 depending on who they're talking to is not effective. Um, and it only encourages them not to speak up and it is creates a chilling effect. Um, and so, you know, it would happen in my mind, it would make sense that when someone needs assistance in any way, having to explain themselves over and over and over again, only makes it less likely that they're going to seek that out. Um, you know, Annie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's one of the things and I know that Shelly, Shelly's program does the same thing just because we know each other. Um, but when we talk with students, um, about what's going on with them. Cause I often, I meet with them prior to them going to the food pantry. Um, and it's, we talk about them as a whole person. So not just, you know, that they're hungry, but really what's happening academically, what's happening at home. Are they housing secure? Like the whole gamut, do they need help in any other way? Um, and not asking them to tell their story, but really just trying to make sure that they are not just treated as someone who's hungry, but treated as a whole person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it is, it's very important that they feel like they can get what they need without having to reveal everything about their history. Um, and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. It's it's the same kind of thought process and mechanisms that you use or interviewing techniques that you use um, when you talk to a victim of sexual assault or harassment or something. Right. And I think, Shelley, you brought up uh, about the how the student's financial aid package does not include mm -hmm. food um, and uh, some of these, in, in, you know, some of these day to day things that people need to survive. 
Um, I'm wondering, and now I, I think what I want to do when I'm making a note uh, for one of our future shows is that there's some uh, legislation on the books right now about what what counts as financial aid. And um, one of the things that really has always uh flummoxed me is that we don't do a very effective job making sure that uh, students are actually getting the money they need for what is actually costing, uh, what is actually their their uh, cost of going to school. Um, and food um, and rent uh, tend to be things that don't, don't get counted for our students at community college. Am I right? You're, you're correct. You know, and I think this is a good example of uh, two federally funded, well-meaning programs that when they come together can actually create a cumulative disadvantage. Mm. So we have students whose financial aid is not going to cover their basic living needs. Yep. And then they are ineligible for the assistance given through K through 12. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we help them by helping them apply for SNAP benefits if they're not already on them, etc. But we also know that SNAP only takes care of certain things. So we supply shampoo, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, all those types of things, because you cannot buy those with mm-hmm. your with SNAP benefits. Right. And so anything we can help defray the cost of that students could then put the money towards food and just the general dignity in it, mm-hmm. not having to make a decision between do I eat dinner tonight or do I buy enough soap so that my clothes are clean when I go to work tomorrow, right? You know, nobody should have to make those decisions. And that is Absolutely. such a great point, Shelley. Like, and I think the listeners who hear this should understand that those are the things that students really have a difficult time affording. Um, I know that in our food pantry, laundry detergent is one of the biggest needs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, along with shampoo and conditioner and toothpaste and stuff, because it's so expensive that they they really are making a decision to to eat or do their laundry. It's amazing. Um, And and it's frustrating. So we're often asking people to donate laundry detergent because of that. Right. And, and it's, you know, it goes to these stories that, you know, it, it, there was a story a few years ago about uh, this was a K through 12 environment that they actually put free laundry machines and, and detergent in the school so that kids could come to school, put in a load of laundry um, and do laundry there because they couldn't afford it at home. Yep. Yep. And it's this, isn't this make everybody feel good kind of story. I'm like, no, doesn't make me feel good. Sorry. We've got our, we've got our systems out of whack here. Yep. That, I mean, is it an entrepreneurial kind of good idea in terms of fixing a problem for the short term? Yes. But this problem shouldn't exist. Exactly. Like, and, and that's, and, if, and that's really a problem. Right. And if we keep putting these band-aids on them, there's going to be no incentive to create to create systems to fix the larger problems. Right. And that's where we're at. And I know and I'm so happy to be talking about this today. um, But I know like this time of year is when people want to talk about hunger. They want to do drives. They want to, you know, we I did an interview with the local paper last night about our students. They're still hungry in April. They right. still need deodorant in August. You exactly. know? So I think the more we talk about it and the more we normalize it, again, over 60% of community college students are food insecure. That's mm-hmm. more than a majority. So can't we normalize this as the experience and then really institutionalize ways right. in which we can address these issues? Right. That's no, absolutely. Oh, sorry. I was just saying your point, Laura, about financial aid is just so on point 
because even at, at a university, you know, yes, our students who live on campus, which is a small part of our campus that live on campus, um, you know, we have 16,000 plus students and 4,000 live on campus. Um, but even them having a meal plan, it, it's just so exorbitantly expensive to mm -hmm. live on campus, to have room and board added right. to your bill. Right. And so we have a lot of students, a lot of students that I work with for homelessness are um, making the choice not to move on to on campus housing because they just see this never ending debt right. because they have to add on for a year, about $15,000 onto their bill. Right. So, right. you know, there's, there's even that it's just, they, you're right. The cost of living and working and, you know, being a student is far larger than financially covers. Yeah. And, and that's really where there's, there's so many examples of uh, federal policies and, and as Shelley said, well-meaning decisions uh, that have been made that actually end up coming back and biting students in yep. the butt. And, um, you know, financial aid and what you can use financial aid dollars is, is an area where there's a lot of examples of where specificity and, and how certain things happen and it just doesn't work. So, you know, shifting to, uh, you know, when I was uh, uh, working in the residential life area of campuses, we had to make sure that if I'm offering Shelly a resident assistant job, if it if it throws exactly. their financial aid out of whack, it may yep. not be, uh, you know, make sense for Shelly to take that position. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of things there that that we have many examples of how financial aid uh, really doesn't it doesn't necessarily hit in the right ways. Um, you know, you brought up Annie about uh, dining, and this was something I was I was going to say when Shelley kind of tuned in. And when I was in my last year as a vice president for student affairs, I was trying to get other VPSAs to actually look at their um, how they uh, actually do their RFPs for uh, getting their new dining plans set up. So when you do your request for proposal, you go out there and you say to the different vendors, uh, the different dining companies, what are you going to do? How much is this going to cost my kids? You know, what is it going to look like? And they always throw out, if you've ever been part of an RFP P experience when it comes to dining, get get excited because you're going to be wined and dined. They want your business bad. Um, and there was a period of time where we were talking about sustainability. And it was, how are you going to be sustainable? How are you going to be sustainable? And they would give you all these, these things to say, this is how we do it. This is our company's way of making it happen. We have compostable uh, utensils at catering events and we use bamboo plates and we do this, this, and this. And there's all these things that they do. And they talk a little bit about food waste, but not enough. And I actually pushed back and I said, I would like all of us when we are putting out an RFP to talk to our, to say as part of the RFP, what are you dining company going to do about food insecurity on our campus to help our students? And I want something specific to our campus. I don't want this to be a boilerplate kind of uh, answer. I don't want this to be, because that's what those, those sustainability answers all look the same. They all look the same. They didn't address the culture of the campus. They didn't address the limitations of the campus. They didn't address the, the community that is part of the campus. Um, and I just don't think that these dining companies are doing enough. And I'm wondering, uh, Annie and Shelley, are you hearing that 
any of this is happening on the dining service side or is it just a, a completely separate problem and this and they don't actually participate shelly go ahead um i'm actually gonna punt it back over to annie because we have our own in-house catering mm -hmm. um, we don't use the dining services um, so we've had a lot of great flexibility with them um, and providing um, food for our students in need including um, pre-cooking meals and having them frozen to distribute for the holidays last year during the mm -hmm. pandemic great that's great to know um annie go ahead and so on ours um we have not yet started food rescue, though. We'd love to start that. They just have a host of, and you can only imagine, Laura, because you've been yeah. in this position. They have a host of reasons why it's not safe, kind of a thought right. process. Right, right. Um, but they, what they, what Airmark does do with us, um, and I agree with you, I don't think it's really enough, um, is they, we have a meal swipe program on campus mm -hmm. um, where students can donate guest meals to students and then we distribute them to students based on their need. And... Um, they start us out every semester with a thousand meals, which is very helpful. Um, it's peanuts though. <laughs> yep, yep, and yep. they only allow us to have, uh, only allow students to donate one meal um, a semester. So yeah. even though they have eight guest meals and most students don't even know they have them until mm. we point it out to them. Mm. Um, students would love to donate much more. They just not allowed to. Um, so that would be very helpful. Um, the other thing we're trying to do, it has, it, it's getting there, but is allow um, our students who have SNAP to use it in their convenience stores on campus. Um, that would be tremendously helpful for students because if they're on campus, and they need something quick, you know, instead of having mm -hmm. to pull out money, they can use their, their benefits. Um, and again, it's a, it's a contractual thing. You're absolutely right. So right. probably next contract time, we'll be writing it in instead of asking. Um, but there's a lot that I think they could do that just has not happened. And I, and I do, I agree with you. I think it's nationwide. I think that there, uh, you know, how many, how many businesses really are there? I think there are two now. Um, mm -hmm, food mm -hmm. services for colleges. So there's not much competition and right, there's right. a lot of pushback. I will say that our food service did help us tremendously in setting up our food pantry. So I will give them kudos for that for sure. Um, they saved us a lot of money by giving us some of the equipment that we needed um, and put us on pest control, which sounds kind of funny, but you know, <laughs> you don't want them in the, your food pantry. <laughs> no, no. And you, and you need to have, and if you can be put on pest control, that actually saves you a lot of money. It does. It um, definitely does. <laughs> so take it from a person who managed pest control. Yeah. Um, so we have Deb Katie has joined us up on stage. She has a question. So Deb, you can take yourself off mute and thank you. And welcome to office hours once again. And uh, what's your question or comment? Yeah, thank you. This has been incredibly helpful. Um, I will say that Sodexo also has a similar program to Aramark. Um, I think the, the campus leaders, though, have to push to talk with them about campus or food insecurity support, because um, although they have a national program, particularly on smaller campuses, they're not as public about what those offerings are. Mm. Um, so I do think getting that in the mind and the decision makers of those who are um, negotiating that contract um, yeah. can be helpful. And, um, you know, Sodexo, Aramark, they're, they're wanting it at a, at a national level. It's just important to bring it to your campus level. Right. And, and I think that's a really good point. One of the things I did on my small campus was, and this was, you know, it wasn't just me. I had several staff members who said, look, you know, they figured out, um, that we had uh, st students who had come to them 
Um, and we had this growing list. Uh, the gentleman who handled our commuter, stu commuter student uh, population, he had a list. I had a, a person who did our civic engagement, he had a list. And so uh, between all of us, and, and it was this idea of, can we start a food pantry? And we just didn't have the facility to do it. Um, and uh, at the time, and we were looking to see, could we do it? But when I went to Aramark, who was our food service provider, and I said, what if uh, we had a dining card um, or we were able to give these folks a meal plan? And they donated meal plans. They donated full on, uh, you know, 10 meal a week meal plans, which was the most popular meal plan a week that we had. And uh, if it was something that we needed more of, and it was, it got to that idea of what Shelly and Annie were talking about earlier. All it took for me was to say, put a meal plan on X student's card and that would and on their account. And that was it. They didn't go into why they didn't go into anything. They just wanted to know, was it for 10, you know, 10 meals a week for how long? And we just kept, kept it going. Um, and that worked, um, but it wasn't enough. Um, and like you said, Deb, you had to really ask for it and you really had to push. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think the fact that I just kind of went house on them and just kind of made them feel guilty only, only, you know, got it moving faster. Um, but we didn't have it built into our contract. It was really like basically what uh, we were able to muster. Um, and so thank you, Deb, for making that comment. And um, absolutely, if you are working on a college campus, take it up with your vice president uh, for student affairs or your uh, CFO, whoever you have the best relationship with, um, whoever has the best connection and see what you can do to make these things happen. Um, we are coming up on uh, the end of the show and I wanted to give Annie and Shelly an opportunity to uh, say a couple words to say goodbye. Uh, before, before that, I want to remind you, we will be back um, on the air uh, coming up on the Wednesday after Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we will be at our normal time at noontime on Wednesday, the uh, 1st of uh of december and uh we are looking forward to that and we will be coming back the following week the topic will be our uh monthly uh think tank show. Um, but there will be a bunch of great uh, shows coming up towards the end of, the, of this uh, calendar year and then into January. If you have any thoughts on future topics, uh, on future guests, uh, right now in the Fortune Cookie Scroll, you have my connect information. Please feel free to connect with me and make a recommendation. So Annie and Shelly, thank you so much for being here. Annie, I'm going to throw it to you to say goodbye and then go to Shelly. So go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you for attending this and for listening. And um, honestly, if you want to do something for college students, um, there are two things I would say if you have a connection with one to donate to it, um, to their project fund so that you know it can keep going. And then the other thing is to watch for legislation coming out and encourage your legislatures at the state level to back the free um, no hunger college camp on college campuses bill that's coming through. Great. That's that's amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, Shelly, your thoughts? Um, I would say one thing to keep in mind, whatever the level or type of services you provide and any sort of basic needs, whether it's transportation, food, housing, etc. The important thing is not just to give these services to the students, but to then teach them how to advocate for themselves in the future. 
because one of the things that we find has been the most powerful is when students learn how to ask and who to ask, they take that skill with them into the future and it serves them really well. And the last piece I would say, I'll repeat myself, is let's talk about this again in April. Let's mm. continue to talk about this year round. The problem does not go away just because, you know, the holidays have passed. So um, please keep this co constant conversation um, alive. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shelly. And Shelly gets the gold star today for keeping up with all of the technology. And I want to thank everyone for being here. Have a wonderful holiday. See you next week here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, stay well and stay safe. Thank you.